0: for us and because of that we gather in this place as your children father just desiring to be taught and instructed by you and so father i just pray for your word today again you would do a good work a good work that makes a difference that makes a change and so lord we can so easily look to the politician look to an election but god ultimately it's by the movement of your hand through your people that change has always come about so we submit ourselves to your word once more god that you would guide us in it and through it we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday! You know what? Worship was so good, I took a collection for you guys. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> good morning. Good morning, Jim. How are you? (laughs) Good Good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. And again, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, raise your hands, and the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? There's one over there. Everybody else is good. Acts chapter... 26, we're going through a series that I've entitled, A Church That Acts Like Acts. Today is going to be the eighth part of this series, and it more than likely will be the final part of this series, this heart check that we would know that collectively our church is a church that acts like acts, that biblical pattern that god has given us so that we would know that we are in his will but also church the church members would know that we conduct ourselves as a member of a church that acts like acts so again we would know that what we present to the lord is what would be blessed by the lord is penny in here i think i told her it was acts church that acts like acts number seven but in actuality it's number eight but anyway we are on our 16th point. We'll be looking at three of them this morning. And so next, a church that acts like acts, tells its testimony, has its testimony and testimony prepared and ready to go. In chapter 26, the Apostle Paul is given such an opportunity and what we're going to look at is five key statements made by Paul in his presentation of the testimony that which would glorify God an avenue through which somebody is able to see and relate to how the gospel works in mankind's life so Acts chapter 26 verse 1 then Agrippa said to Paul you are permitted to speak for yourself so Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived the Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to obtain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be, though, thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and i punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them i persecuted them even to foreign cities and so the first thing that paul says is is that i lived as a pharisee he's speaking of his religious background and i can remember that well, I had a religious background, I'm sure most of you did. Now I say had a religious background before I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there was a big difference because in religion I did not know Jesus Christ. But through a relationship I came to know him and know him very intimately. And so what Paul is speaking here of is he's showing that he is not contrary to the Jews, but he's, he, he's connecting with them. As a Christian, he's telling us who he was before Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, again, speaking of his Jewish background, he said, "...circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church." concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. What he did, he did ignorantly, although that still did not make it right. He was as lost as lost could be. And so the worst thing that you can do when given an opportunity, he's got an opportunity before King Agrippa. And the worst thing that you can do when given an opportunity, whoever it might be, an unbeliever who needs to know Jesus Christ, who needs to hear the gospel, is to present yourself as being uh, spiritually superior to them. Because really, the only way that I came into the kingdom of God, well, it's the same way that you came into the kingdom of God, was by the grace of God. God never looked at me and says, you know what, I really need Mike. I mean, the church is never going to be all that it can be unless Mike comes. No, it was by grace. I was a, I was a decrepit sinner, and it's just because God had, had pity upon me that he brought me into his family. And so Paul's making this personal connection here. So when you come upon a person that you believe that God has called you, To lead to Him, make a personal connection between your life and theirs so that you can enter in and show them the great work that Jesus Christ has done. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's what Paul says I become just as Jewish as is necessary in order to win the Jews. I'll become like the Gentiles in order to win the Gentiles. Uh, It doesn't matter where people are at, I'll look at their culture or look at the situations and circumstances how will I be able to enter into that to make the connection through which the gospel is going to flow? And so there's many ways to do that. We do it by, well, that's one of the reasons why we have participated, and it's on our calendar to do so this year again, the city of Ontario's 4th of July parade. We have an opportunity to enter in and, well, for the gospel's sake. Vacation Bible School. We send mailers throughout our portion of the city because we want unbelieving families, especially their kids, to come in that we would be able to share the gospel. Trunk or treat. I wasn't here last one, but our our parking lot was packed. And it wasn't just the people from our church. I don't know. If we have enough people to pack the parking lot. Like it was, They were people from outside of the church. Matter of fact, we figured out a little bit different dynamic to it this time because, well, last two years we have it the Sunday before uh, Halloween, and people want more. I guess I guess they like a lot of candy or something, or they spend a lot of money on the costumes. So another time to do it is good for them. But whatever works, whatever works, we had an opportunity, and people are getting right with Jesus. Easter. Our church is going to double here in a month and a week or two. Our church always doubles on Easter Sunday. And as a pastor, that can be frustrating. Where are these people all year long? But we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to share the gospel. Christmas, not as much as it used to be, but still there's opportunities here to share the gospel. With the woman at the well, Jesus, what did he do? He he made a connection first. He simply Asked her for a drink. What did they have in common? She was coming to get water. Jesus was coming for a drink of water. So much more, but they were both thirsty. And so Jesus met her there, and not only she, but her whole city got saved because of it. So we must be people who build bridges because what travels over that bridge is that which is going to give them, has the potential for eternal life. But there's a problem in bridge building is a b- great potential for failure as well. If we improperly build that bridge, well, we can so easily burn a bridge instead of build a bridge. How is a bridge burnt? A bridge is burnt through pride, through superior attitude, and through hypocrisy. Through somebody who calls himself a born-again believer but does not conduct himself as a born-again believer. People will have no part in that. We can't be people who get into theological discussions apart from the gospel. We can't get be people who get into political discussions apart from the gospel. All of these need to be avenues for the word of God. I'm not saying we don't get into theological discussions or political discussions, but what good does it do to win an argument with an unbeliever if you haven't shared the gospel or you beat him up to such a degree that he's not going to be receptive of the gospel at that point? Maybe you even won won your argument, but you have failed. We have this society today. We're going to be voting right this coming Tuesday. We're a polling place here We have an opportunity to express God's voice through the church in that voting booth, on that ballot, take that opportunity. But what am I seeing the world doing? I'm looking at some things, and I'm sure you are too, you know, watch these people on TV and thinking, what in the world are these idiots thinking? Well, that's my wife. I don't call people idiots, but (laughs) what are these people? What are they doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're doing the best they can with what they got, and they don't got nothing. They don't have Jesus and as they don't have Jesus they're trying to foster the best and man has done such foolish things trying to foster heaven here on earth and he can't do it because heaven is never going to be here on earth. Matter of fact we've read to the end of the book one day it's all going to burn. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because this earth has been scorched by sin and so we see mankind apart from Christ He's going to be desperately lost, and even his thoughts are going to fail. And because of that, as we have the answer, we need to be people who are faithful in delivering it. When it comes to theological discussions, what good does it do to discuss elements of theology with somebody who doesn't even know Jesus? John Corson described the theologian as a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that does not exist, and he finds it and so you know you've had people through their intellect that will even make things up or overcome by their ability to argue rather than even being right in their argument and it just turns into a mess and so you've got to build that connection that personal connection with people personal connection with your neighbors personal connection with your people at work not participating in their sin and all of those things but nonetheless to build that bridge so that the gospel will be able to travel across. Second, we see verses 12 through 13. While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Apostle Paul was going about his sinful day, just as we were on the day that we were born again. But what did he do? He saw a light. What, what is the light? We saw this in, in 1 John, in our study in 1 John and the first 10 verses. We saw that that light, or the glory, is the verifiable presence of God. And that's the idea here is, is that Paul is being met by God, going about his day. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was pretty popular. I was doing really well. Matter of fact, I was coming up against those people who, in my opinion, were coming up against God. But it's then that God met me. It's then that as I was misdirected, God met me as I was going astray. See, you have paul paul thought he was doing what was necessary to be done but he was doing it in ignorance and unbelief but he was a passionate man and what did god do god arrested his heart he took those passions and redirected it now paul's passions are directed in god's for god's purposeful desires and he's setting him on that pathway to be used by him and to change others lives in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Well, according to what we know, the glory of God and the light of God, what Jesus is saying is, I am the revealed God to all of humanity. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we are told he is the image of the invisible God. As we stand in Christ, we stand in the light of Jesus Christ and no longer in darkness. And, matter of fact, what is an attribute of hell? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth but light, light is a picture once again of godliness. In John 1 verses 4 through 5, in him was life, and life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it or did not comprehend it. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and just dark and just, there's just this element of fear that that has just kind of come upon you when you woke up, maybe confused, maybe something startled you, but it's in the darkness. I remember one time, I can't remember what happened, my wife kicked me and said, did you hear that? And I said, did I hear what? I was sleeping, I didn't hear anything until you kicked me. And she goes, I heard a noise, you need to go check on it. And I'm thinking, why do I have to check on it? (laughs) You go check on it, and something happens, I'll call the police. But that didn't work. And so walking around the house and I'm thinking should I go turn on all the lights and well no maybe I'll surprise the bad guy so I took a flashlight that I keep next to my bed and I'm walking through the house and you never know what's going to come around the corner you never know what's there well now I know what was there nothing nothing was there but I did my job and went back laid down in bed and my heart's going "Boom, boom 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 there's just that fear that comes in darkness, but The light, because Jesus Christ has come, illuminated the reality of who God is and the reality of what God desires, we have that perfect peace, that perfect peace as we live in the light. We are in the light because we are in the presence of God. Matter of fact, the presence of God, I should say, is in us. So it's important, once you've made a personal connection, you must then show them who you were, how you were personally changed. Paul said, I saw this, it was the, the, the person of Jesus Christ that changed my life. Now, you probably aren't going to be walking on a road to Damascus and see Jesus Christ but that's okay. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and brings us to our next point, verses 14 through 18. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goad. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so he heard a voice. The only way that anybody is ever saved is that they hear a voice or they hear the word of God. Yes, we must live the gospel. There's no doubt about it because if we're not living the gospel, if we're not living the word of God and living a Christian life, it's going to detract from what we say. But the only way that anybody is ever going to be saved is not by our manner of life, but by our manner of speech as we preach the gospel. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if somebody's going to be saved at some point, Somebody has got to share the gospel with them. Somebody has to tell them that God came in the flesh tell him that God died upon the cross to pay the price for sins because all are sinners and nobody, is able, nobody else is able to pay that price because we're all guilty. But Christ, being sinless, hung upon that cross, received judgment from the Father for the forgiveness of sins of all humanity. And he proved that he overcame sin because sin entered in, death entered in, but Jesus came back to life and shows us that he achieved victory over sin. And because he was raised from the dead, we will one day be raised from the dead as well. And it's the simplicity of the gospel and never, never shall sell short the simplicity of the gospel. Because as we are preaching the gospel, there's something supernatural that goes on. What would that be? It's the Holy Spirit. And you may not even recognize, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you'll say something, the Spirit will speak to somebody, and they'll just become, and you'll think, wow, how did that happen? Other times you'll be speaking, and you'll just know that the Spirit is with you at that point. Either way, it's the Holy Spirit as you speak the gospel that, and it's he, not you, convicts that person of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin comes to the realization he's a sinner of righteousness understands that there's a god and of judgment knowing that at some point he's going to have to stand before a holy god and give account for himself give an account for his actions and so we must be people who live the word there's no doubt about it but we must be people who speak the word as well and since someone must hear the gospel and jesus has desire that all men would be saved we don't get to pick who's saved and unsaved we preach it at every opportunity that we have romans ten fourteen. how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed and how should they believe on him and whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher doesn't say pastor a proclaimer how will they hear without somebody who proclaims the gospel You will meet, as far as this room full of people, you'll meet in this coming week more than I will meet by myself. And so as we are all, I I have this responsibility as well, people who preach the gospel, do you see how the gospel has an opportunity to be multiplied? If you just tell two people this coming week, you just never know what God is going to do. But we've doubled the amount of people who have heard the word. Number four... Verses 19 through 21, I was not disobedient. It says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judah, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Again, if you are a changed person, you will live a changed life. And so there's going to be certain aspects of somebody's life that you should be able to point at. And I'm talking about your own, but making an evaluation of somebody. But you got to first make the evaluation in your own life. And Paul gives us just three points in this short salvation sermon that he's giving. First of all, if I'm evaluating my own life, as far as have I Have I truly done what is necessary to be right with Christ? Well, first of all, and it's what Paul says, did you repent? Did you repent of your sins? It doesn't do good just to acknowledge God because if you just acknowledge God without repenting, you'll be acknowledging him as your judge one day as you're standing before him in the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. You must repent of your sins. You must acknowledge that you're a sinner and have a desire to change from being a sinner. It literally means to stop going from one direction and to go in another. For Paul, it was very clear, the illustration, to go from killing Christians to saving people so that they would become Christians. And then secondly, he says, this is all in verse 20, to turn to God. Again, it doesn't do any good just to repent, because that just makes you a sorry sinner. You must at some point turn to God. Turn to God, come before God in faith through Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to understand the magnitude of the cross and what occurred upon the cross to realize I, I was just as lost as those people I'm yelling at at the TV who are offering up all of these socialistic and every other foolish thing in the world. I was just as lost as they all. But something happened. Somebody spoke the gospel. I realized I was a sinner. And it was God who inspired me to repent of my sins. But then Jesus Christ was was displayed to me as my Lord and my Savior. And I believed on him. And a transformation came about. How do I know a transformation came about? Because there was the third point here. That I started doing works befitting repentance. James said, faith without works is dead. What big change came over you, Pastor Mike? Well, I didn't even so much get saved and say, you know what, I got to stop doing this and stop doing that and so on and so forth. But it was the work that God did in my life. I was in construction and believe it or not, people in construction, they cuss sometimes. <laughs> and I was in construction, so you can put two and two together. And so I didn't say, you know what, I got to start cleaning up my language. It just happened. I just did. You know, there was conscience efforts at times because was, something would happen and there was that, that big temptation to use that whatever the particular word may be. I'll leave that up to your imagination. But there, is that, there was that temptation. But God took those things from me. And sometimes when God takes things from us, we'll kind of start pulling them back. And today, you know, somebody said, you see this movie or that movie? I was watching some documentary kind of a movie and they started in with the language and I I just can't, I just can't listen to that stuff anymore. I, I, I just can't do that anymore. I can't do it because that's part of who I used to be, but I am scared to death that the old man would rear his ugly head, that a word would come out from even the pulpit. I mean, if, yeah, we were at church today, and you should have heard what Pastor Mike said. No, you know what? Lord, keep me from that old man, Lord. Put him completely to death. Then there was the drinking thing, and looked in the Bible and couldn't find nowhere that drinking within itself was a sin. And so I just kind of kept going. I didn't drink all that much. I'd have a beer here and there. But God impressed upon my heart. He tapped me on the shoulder. And said I want that beer you're drinking and what I mean he, he wanted to take it away he, he didn't want to drink he, he wanted <laughs> to take <laughs> he, he wanted to take it away what has he tapped you on the shoulder and, and said and you could probably you could probably get some pretty neat testimonies here of who you used to be and the things that God had taken away we could probably still get some testimonies of things he takes it away and you pulled it back and you're having a tug of war with God guess who ultimately is going to win? But it's these changes, as you observe in your life, that you have new priorities now, and it's all showing of the salvation that truly had occurred in your life. I remember my wife kept telling me, because we were Catholics at the time, and my son was going to have his first Holy Communion, and he needed to memorize prayers, and she says, this was before we were saved, you're the father, you go teach him. And it's like, ugh. And so I went and taught him, and it was just, it, it was just a big labor, and he didn't want to do it, and I made him do it, and you got that big old fight that goes back and forth, and finally he did it. He, he did his communion. He finally did his communion. We got saved, and we never went back, but <laughs> there, there was a change. There was a change from somebody who, who you know, don't want to deal with that stuff to somebody who saw all the importance of teaching and training his family in the ways of the Lord. If you have young kids, we are still reaping the benefits of training our kids in the way that they should go. Usually on a typical day, my wife would give them a devotion in the morning and I would give them a devotion in the evening. We would pray together, we would pray for them. My wife and I, we set aside Wednesday as a day of praying and fasting for our children. I don't remember for how long we did it, but for a period of time, we prayed every Wednesday and we fasted for our children. And it was kind of a neat thing. The guys that I worked with, knew they ended up knowing they they didn't call me Pastor Mike hey Mike well some of them did call me Pastor Mike but it wasn't in a flattering way hey Pastor Mike you're gonna go oh wait no it's Wednesday he doesn't eat oh yeah that's right you don't you know you know and it just kind of that was kind of a cool thing it wasn't something that I hey I fast on Wednesday but it's just something that became known and it was a witness within itself and you know I stand up here because I got the microphone but you should be able to come up here and give witnesses you know to to things along those lines this changed work that Christ has done in your life if there was no change whatsoever you need to question did I really you know did I really repent did I really turn to God and am I or am why am I not doing works that befit repentance the changed life of a believer if you're missing any of these three, you need to question yourself. Do I need to go back and do the elementary things of belief? And then I'm not gonna read the verses because of time, but verses 22 through 32, Paul says, I continue unto this day. Why? Because you never know who you're gonna be, you're gonna be able to persuade to preach the gospel to and now the apostle paul because he has been faithful and has continued on he's standing before kings giving the gospel second corinthians five eleven. knowing therefore the terror of the lord we persuade men number 17 go ahead and turn to chapter 28 a church that acts like acts i got bad news they're going to certainly suffer Verse 28, now when they had escaped, verse 1, then they found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. And we know that Paul shook the serpent off and had no ill effect and then they changed their perception of him. But look at the apostle Paul sharing the gospel. He's arrested in Jerusalem. He spends a couple of years in there in jail or at least in house arrest. And now he's going on this big journey. The boat sinks because of the storm. They find this island. I mean, it should sound familiar to you and your life. You know, once you're done with one trial, you find an island and you think you have it made. And then he gets bit by a snake. And then these people are kind of turning against him now. But then God is just continuing doing this work. We're all going through a series of trials because a church that acts like Acts, it's certainly going to suffer. It was here that when we studied the book of Acts, we saw the doctrine of suffering and we need to realize God's place in this and that God's got reason and purpose for the suffering that we experience. There is going, you know, when, when somebody speaks of the suffering that they're experiencing at the time, Don't rate it based upon your suffering. (laughs) That's nothing. Let me tell you what I'm going through. No, because what they're going through is real in their lives. And it's not even a good thing if they're going through something. Oh, I went through the same thing. You know, at that point, minister to them. Minister to them because God has called you to be his representative into a suffering brother or sister at that moment. And just any backlog that you have of going through those things, use it for the spiritual benefit of that person. Don't, don't supersede their suffering. Don't, don't try to put them in their place or whatever. Just weep with them. Be compassionate towards them. Because again, God's working reason and purpose through all of that suffering. And so why is there suffering in the world? Well, we need to see what the Bible has to say. First thing, there is common suffering. Because we are sinful people in a fallen world, suffering is going to be a common experience. Have you ever got yourself into a trial because some foolish thing that you have done? Or maybe some disobedient thing that you have done? I should ask for a raising of hands, but I already know that everybody has done that because we all have. In Job chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, it says, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring up from the ground, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Christians as well as non-Christians will experience heartache, sickness, financial problems. Why? As I said earlier, this is not heaven. This is a battleground. And there's going to be troubles, not just the attack of the enemy, but so many others out on the battlefield. Secondly, there is corrective suffering. This is the suffering that's probably best illustrated in the suffering that you placed upon your children when they were disobedient. You, you, you corrected them because you cared for them. You, you loved them. You don't want to see them playing out in the middle of the freeway because you know they would get killed if they ran out in the street, you would discipline them because they needed to not do that. They needed to stop doing that. If you saw them drinking something from the wrong cupboard that was harmful to them, you immediately brought repercussions upon their lives because you didn't want their lives taken because of the great love that you have for them. And so, This is how God gets our attention when we're being disobedient in our walks. Because he loves us, but because we wander off sometimes to our detriment, he brings correction to bring us back to where we need to be. Thirdly, there is constructive suffering. This is that refining fire that melts us and the hammer and anvil on which we are molded into his image, a place where we never want to go but are always glad that we did. This is the suffering that God brings into our lives so that we would would understand the magnitude of his suffering and there would be that connection. As Christ suffered, we suffer as well because as the world rejected him, the world rejects us. In Romans chapter five, verses three through four, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope as you're going through that suffering, as you have the realization that Christians are going to suffer, then you know that you are in the right place, that you are in God's good place. Because again, just as Jesus suffered, so will we. Fourthly, there is Christ-glorifying suffering. This is the type of suffering that the blind man experienced in John 9 as he was Um, born blind from the birth and the apostles are asking who sinned this man or his parents and jesus said it's neither this man was born blind for my purposes my and his purposes came to fruition that day that he would be blind that he would be there blind from birth well blind from birth Somebody could have a temporary blindness, but somebody, especially back in those days, who was blind from birth, was unhealable, considered to be unhealable, but now that was the day that he met Jesus Christ, and it was done for a witness that God would be glorified. And so some of the sufferings that we go through is for the purpose of Jesus being glorified. Remember Lazarus? Not only was he suffering, but his family was suffering. It says in John eleven four. 4, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I've seen this, I've witnessed this, I've been a part of this from the standpoint of, other than the ministry behind the pulpit, do weddings and intimate time with people, and it's a blessing without a doubt, but probably the most effective ministry is the ministry of a funeral. And as sad as it is that that person died, whoever it might be, we had a few last year people that we love that went to be with the Lord, but there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity to use that life for the glory of God so that the word of God would flow into people who probably wouldn't be in a church except for that person's death that day, who probably wouldn't hear the gospel except that there was an opportunity because of that person's passing, now, if that person was a born-again believer to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, but there is an opportunity there because of that suffering and that heartache, there's been people saved. We've seen people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because what I have observed during a funeral as that casket is there, the urn is there, whatever it might be, the majority of people, especially those apart from Christ, are thinking, what if today was my day? I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder what happens when you die. I I wonder who's going to show up. I wonder if anybody's going to show up to my funeral. And I always ask them, you know, you've heard some testimonies from these people and the great hope that they have that they're in the presence of God today. I'll ask them, if today was your day, what hope would your loved ones have? If today was the day that we were doing your funeral, what would people be able to come up here and say about you? And I just pray that that would penetrate their hearts. Definitely a time of suffering. We've all lost lost ones to our loved ones to a degree. But that pain, that pain can also be turned into souls as well. In John 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not here. We're destined for eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ, that place that He has gone to prepare for us. But while we are here, as suffering comes, as hardship comes, we use it for the glory of God. That we would be built up, that we would be better prepared to do that work that God has called us, or take advantage of somebody when they're wondering what in the world is going on in their lives. And then, lastly, number 18. A church that acts like acts will never stop doing so. Will never stop doing so. These are examples that have been given that we would follow these examples. That we would plug them into our society, into our times. But the basic elements of them are timeless. They never change. Just because we've become so-called smarter and wiser, it doesn't mean that the gospel has been or needs to be changed or brought up to a standard god delivered the gospel at that point that he did so he understood because he existed in the future and he knew how things were going to be but he gave us these elements of the word of god the gospel for the purpose of saving souls and just as it saved souls back then just as it turned the world upside down then it can change the world upside down even today and we need to see and understand the reality of it because it is the power of God for the salvation of souls. And when we come to that realization, we exercise that power because, yes, we are to vote. And the people who have, who have been taught the word of God and are living the word of God are going to vote to the best of their ability according to God's desires. We're told that the governing authority is put there by the hand of God and the way that he is put there by the hand of God uh, um, Romans chapter 13 is through the church as the church rises up and votes according to what they know to be God's will when we do these things we see change come about but you're not going to elect anybody that is going to change the world only God or at least in a positive direction only God is able to do that you're not going to be elected be able to elect anybody that's going to be able to provide for all of your needs because only god is able to do that he works through people there's no doubt about that but still ultimately it has to be the church that acts like acts that goes out into the world that we're going to see change come about the reason that this church must never cease is because sin never ceases so the evaluation of a church that acts like acts so we come to that knowledge of that church that acts like acts we need to have a confidence and a motivation about that we have not been called to be really religious because Jesus had some pretty strong words to speak against those who were really religious as far as being intellectually smart We're told that the Lord uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And as far as really good people, there is none good, no, not one. We don't need good people in this church. We need people who have their eyes firmly fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for his purposes. We're told in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but live their lives according to the Spirit. If you remember, that's what the book of Acts is all about. Now, its full title is the book of Apostles, but in actuality, it's the book of the Acts. Its full title is the Acts of the Apostles, but in actuality, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. And the same Spirit that worked through the Apostles back then is the same Spirit that is able to work through you today. And a church is never fully going to act like Acts until the typical person sitting in the congregation realizes that God wants to do a good work through them. Why not? He used common people every single instance that we see somebody being used. He never used perfect people, because again, there isn't any, well, one, that was our Lord but he just used common people of the day. He called Abraham, and Abraham messed up. Lack of faith, he goes to Egypt, lies about his wife, just causes this huge mess because of his sin and and his lack of trust in God. Moses was being disciplined. Matter of fact, there was a time when God sought to kill him as he was going to do the ministry God had called him to because he was being disobedient to God's call. Paul used to kill people simply because of their their belief. The rest of the apostles personified in the apostle Peter, you can look at him and think, you're going to build a kingdom on him? You know, he's constantly doing and saying the wrong thing. But these people get filled with the Spirit and everything changes. You should be able to relate that to the day that you were filled with the Holy Spirit and everything in your life changed. How do I become filled with the Spirit? Well, the Spirit comes and dwells inside of you on the day that you were saved, but then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we are told, the only thing that I need to do as a born-again believer to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to simply ask God. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more so will the Father in heaven give the Spirit to he who asks? And so again, these are personal things. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to be baptized, same thing, just simply ask. Just simply ask. In the quiet of your day, in the quiet of your night, whenever it might be, just ask God. God, fill me with your spirit. God, I'm afraid. Fill me with your spirit. God, I'm not a bold person. Fill me with your spirit. God, and you can go through any, any defect that you think you may have as a Christian. God, fill me with your spirit. And that's God, not the power of God, but God who will empower you to overcome yourself and your shortcomings, to live a life to his glory. And so the church that acts like Acts can never forget that it is God's agency for his word to a dying world. Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we have seen is a church that acts like Acts will be evangelical, it waits on the Lord, is filled with the Holy Spirit, is moving and ministering, is encouraged to the discouraged, it hates hypocrisy, it multiplies ministry, it witnesses as the world harasses. Church that acts like Acts is just like you. It has a call, just like Paul. It has a flow of fresh faith. It is prepared to preach. It it instigates real revival, is loving. It does not compromise, tells its testimony, will certainly suffer, and will never stop acting like Acts. Why? Because there's no better way, there's no other way than that which the Lord has laid before us. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us these things. You've showed us these things. You showed us, you told us, Lord, what is expected of us. And these things are given for our learning, that we would understand, Lord, what is necessary for us to, to do. How we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to do the work of ministry. And we see that just those who followed through lord and what you have called them to do you did great things and father we pray that you would do great things through this church and the people of this church and so god we just thank you that you have given us this morning i thank you for the series in the book of acts just this overview and i just pray father that we would grasp on to the things that you have for us and so lord i just lift all to you in this room and just pray father that that we would have that realization. If there's anybody here who is unsaved, I pray that they would repent of their sins and that they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and start producing works that show the proof of those things. If there's anybody here who desires to be filled with the Spirit, God, just meet them in their private time and I pray that they would rise up and ask, and Lord, that you in turn would would do. And so, Father, we just thank you that you have given us this time together once more. I just pray for this last worship song. I pray that it would be intimate and passionate. Father, I lift up the election on Tuesday, and I just pray that it would go according to your will, Lord, that your desires would prevail in the midst of all that's going on in this world. And so, Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?